The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. I went to the Supreme Court to eliminate student debt that was out there. And guess what? The Supreme Court ruled against it, but I still got 136 million people's debt relieved. I've been fighting Big Pharma for a long time. You know, if you buy, if you go to wherever you're your, your provider, any drug you have to take, any prescription drug, and you decide you're going to buy it here in Milwaukee, or you're going to buy it in Toronto, Canada, or Paris, France, or Budapest, guess what? You're going to pay two to three times as much for the prescription. Same company, same American manufacturer, same thing. Because Medicare pays for it for most, in most cases. And guess what? We're not we're just if you at the VA and you get the prescription drug, they negotiate the price with the uh, with with the pharmaceutical company. Well, they passed laws earlier way on. I've been fighting it for over 35 years to say you can't negotiate Medicare can't negotiate for drug prices for for and by the way, that's how they make enormous amounts of money. I come from a state that has the eighth largest black population in the country. And uh, as they say, the saying goes, where I come, you bring me to the dance early on. The economy in our nation is stronger when we're tapping into the full, full range of talents in this nation. My administration is going to continue to fight, for these, to fight these attacks because everyone deserves a fair shot, just a shot. Let me close with this. You know, for all we've done, the real heroes of this story are you, the American people, not a joke. Yeah, it's pretty bad, but... uh, Trump is Hitler! Trump is Hitler. We're trying to adhere to the Constitution. We're trying to follow the law. And no, we don't like insurrections right. or Adolf Hitler. It's pretty basic. So this lie that on other networks that this is partisan and this is left wing and versus right wing, this is progressive versus, it's just a lie. Mike Barnacle, this is a fight. This is a fight in the next 11 months. Regardless of your views on certain issues or your political stands on certain issues, this is a fight for the heart and soul of American democracy and not where American democracy goes over the next four years, but whether American democracy survives. There you go. We had to uh, throw in a little bit from the morning meltdown. Joe and company insisting that they are not in any way partisan. No, no, they're not biased. (laughs) They're just giving you the the straight up truth. It's a fight for democracy, say the people that want to end democracy, that want to remove Donald Trump. 
Hitler from the ballot. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, a show, well, really, when you look at a lot of other talk shows, the hosts are on vacation at the moment, but not here. We've got, in fact, we've got so much to look forward to in the next week and a half. So many wonderful montage moments that you're going to be enjoying here in the next week and a half. Looking forward to that uh, next week. You can get to the live video stream of this show and tell your friends about it because it's an exciting end to the calendar year. Always is on the Trumpet Daily. Just go to TrumpetDaily.com or or you can watch the live stream at our Rumble channel. Just go to rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily and you can watch every weekday morning at 11.05 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. Lots and lots to get to on today's show, including Colorado Lawfare, following up on yesterday's story or yesterday's segment, the first segment. Uh, lawfare Unhinged. You'll, uh, you'll get more on that. Also, we, we've been meaning to get into the invasion uh, at the southern border. We've had quite a few uh, news items in the stack every day this week, just haven't had time to get into it. Uh, very much at all. Homelessness, the homelessness numbers skyrocketing in Biden's America, or maybe we should say Barack Obama's America. They, they love them some bitter affliction. Well, we're seeing it. It's everywhere you look. The, the, poll, the cratering poll numbers of, uh, of Joe Biden, the fake president. We'll look at that a little bit later on as well. Lots and lots of bitter affliction to go around. Speaking of the border, by the way, the, it's hard... <laughs> Sometimes you forget that the border czar is the fake vice president. That would be Kamala Harris. Listen to this delicious word salad that she had yesterday regarding next year's presidential election. Clip five. You know, every election cycle we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. I have been fortunate and blessed to, during the course of being vice president, have many situations where it becomes clear to me that there are, you know, people of every age and, and gender, by the way, who see something about being the first that lets them know they don't need to be um, limited by other people's limited um, understanding of who can do what. I'll give you the last bit there again, just to see if you can wrap your mind around it. Something about being the first that lets them know they don't need to be limited by other people's limited understanding of who can do what. There you go. The border czar. <laughs> as, as, as the nation burns, there, there are your illegitimate leaders. But Trump, just know, just know. That, that Trump is Hitler. Listen to the distinguished historian. I believe this is over at uh, MSNBC, David Brinkley, clip 16. I heard a former president who is um, jiving on fascism. There's no question about that being a line from Mein Kampf. He knows it. Uh, he's been dabbling in Adolf Hitler his whole life, uh, keeps Hitler's speeches at a bedside. Uh, uh, mein Kampf seems to be the book that's inspired Trump the most. There you go. Trump keeps Hitler's speeches at his bedside like Jake Tapper. Unbelievable. He's, he's, he's adored Hitler for his whole life. 
say the people that absolutely adored Donald Trump before 2015. How about that? Listen, listen to this one from uh, Miles Taylor. I believe he, he wrote the anonymous book, right? So he used to work in the Trump administration. This is clip 17. Liz Cheney's been talking about that I am also obsessed with is kind of what damage he could do within government without even necessarily breaking the law, like how he could use the levers of government to bend to his will. You've worked in government. What scares you the most? The biggest concerns for me are on the national security side. I think Americans still don't understand the full extent of the president's powers and things Donald Trump could do bubble wrapped in legalese that would be damaging to the republic. And one of those that I've noted is there's something in the White House called the Doomsday Book. And for the first time, DHS gave authorization for me to mention this publicly. Uh, and the fact that there are concerns that that book, which is supposed to be used to protect the country in instances of armed foreign invasion, or rebellion, it's the president's most extraordinary powers, could be picked up by Trump and used for domestic political purposes. He could invoke powers we've never heard a president of the United States invoke, potentially to shut down companies or turn off the Internet or deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil. Uh, we don't know because, you know, the things that are in there, the emergency powers of the president aren't widely known to the American people things Donald Trump could do. He could turn off the internet, just like that, just like a light switch over here in the studio. Yeah, this guy comes into office, and he, he shuts down the internet. As, as the world burns, as the nation burns, they go on and on about what Donald Trump could do. What he could do. This is from uh, the Wall Street Journal. With less than a year before a challenging election, the Biden administration risks getting caught in a political doom loop. President Biden's perceived weakness at home undermines his authority in dealing with foreign leaders, while the deteriorating global picture erodes his popularity at home. The dreaded doom loop. That's what this illegitimate administration is in the midst of at the moment. Mr. Biden's foreign policy efforts have not exactly been crowned with success. In Ukraine, Western squabbles and, pol and policy misfires have given Vladimir Putin reason to hope that victory might be heading his way. In the Middle East, as the original wave of Western sympathy for Israel following the Hamas terror attack fades, calls for a ceasefire that would leave Hamas in control of Gaza simply uh, steadily mount. It says more ominously still, Iran's proxies in Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq are stepping up their assaults with the Houthis now being attacked, now, now attacking peaceful commerce in the vital Red Sea. Uh, they don't even mention the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. <laughs> That's a distant memory now. One of the worst foreign policy failures in, in American history. Listen to the Pentagon uh, spokesperson, John Kirby, as he tries to rewrite history, history regarding Afghanistan, clip 14. But let me remind you, please take the opportunity to remind you, we didn't just leave a bunch of weapons in Afghanistan. This is a fallacy. This is a farce. No, no, we didn't leave $90 billion worth of weapons in Afghanistan. That's a fallacy. That's a lie. That's fake news, he says. Never happened. This article says, this is not a world that is becoming more stable, and it's not a world in which American interests or values are becoming more secure. It's not a world in which America's rivals and enemies are gaining respect for the president. It's not a world 
in which America's waning powers of deterrence can long hold back the rising tide of aggression and war. It's a world that's, in other words, it's a world in turmoil. It's a world that's burning. It's a world that's about to explode in violence. And look at the, look at the leadership the United States is left with. Look at who's guiding the ship. This is from uh, Slate. It says, as President Joe Biden grows increasingly mystified by his unpopularity, he's also experiencing the worst polling of his presidency. This plummet was punctuated by last Thursday's release of several surveys showing him getting swept in a series of battleground states. You heard the clip yesterday uh, from Frank Lunds uh, about Nevada. Nevada's in play. It says later on, now that the conflict high of the most now that the conflict high of the most recent democratic election over performance in November's off-year contest has worn off, genuine fear has set in among both democrat democratic insiders and the rank and file as the president trails Trump by 3 points in the real clear average. It says precisely how scared democrats should be about Biden's standing depends on how his plight compares with those of presidents past, and there's no sugarcoating it. This might be the worst polling environment for an incumbent president one year out from an election since the advent of the polling era in the 1930s, and also the most dire situation facing any Democratic presidential candidate in decades. Panic is entirely warranted. This is from Slate. This is from the, the left-wing publication or uh, website, Slate. You can see why. They're screaming that Trump is Hitler. I, I can remember, this must have been 25 years ago, this, this, this comedian, where every punchline he had, he was just screaming. That was sort of his shtick. He, he would just scream at the top of his lungs. That's exactly what's happening right now with the regime media. All that they have is Trump is Hitler. Bad things Trump might do. He's got Mein Kampf at the bedside. Just, just scream at a high pitch. And there you go. It's the perfect metaphor. This is, uh, this is with respect to the nation burning. Associated Press says the United States experienced a dramatic 12% increase in homelessness to its highest reported level as soaring rents and a decline in coronavirus panic assist pandemic assistance combined to put housing out of reach for more Americans, federal officials said Friday. This is from last week. About 653,000 people were homeless, the most since the country began using the yearly point-in-time survey in 2007. A total in January count represents an increase of about 70,650 from a year earlier. Tens of thousands of Americans going to the streets to live in the streets, even as tens of thousands of illegal aliens are just pouring into the country every week, every two weeks, every three weeks. They're setting records at the border. Not the kinds of records that you want to set same with the homelessness. Listen to this Biden spokesperson as she tries to, as she answers this again. This is from the regime media asking her, you know, what about these skyrocketing figures for the homeless? This is clip one. We just heard a couple of days ago from federal data that U.S. homelessness hit a record high this year. It is up 12 percent from last year for families with kids. 
homelessness is up 16%. And a big reason for that is the soaring rent prices. How do you explain to people that do not feel like Bidenomics is working for them, especially on that front? Yeah, we are very focused on a few areas where uh, affordability is still a challenge for many families. Housing is one of those areas where people who uh, already uh, have uh, uh, homes and uh, that percentage has actually increased a great deal uh, over the last few years, they are feeling pretty good. Well, that's great. People that have homes are feeling pretty good. But uh, what about their children? You know, I've got children in, in their early 20s now. What about uh, when it comes time for them to perhaps buy a house? <laughs> that's, the, that's the best that the regime can give to you. She, she doesn't even answer the question. She says nothing about a 12% increase in homelessness in the United States of America, even as we're letting in millions per year. I think New York City has something like 160,000 illegal aliens coming into their city since, uh, since Joe Biden stole the election, since Barack Obama, the dear leader, stole the election. Fox News, southern border hit by a record number of migrant encounters in, the, in a single day as thousands flood into Texas. No wonder Texas is passing laws or taking executive actions under Governor Abbott for local law enforcement to arrest illegals. The feds won't do it. This is all according to the dear leader's plan. Fundamental transformation of the United States. They love it. Obama loves bitter affliction. He loves it. It empowers the Democrats. It empowers the radicals. It says here the, the besieged. Good, good way to describe it. The besieged U.S. southern border saw a record number of migrant encounters in a single day on Monday as thousands flooded into Eagle Pass, Texas, amid a, a broader surge in recent weeks that left authorities overwhelmed. For some reason, Sam pointed this out earlier, people at the end of the year, as they, maybe they take time off from work for their holidays, they tend to pay more attention to all the illegal activity, and who knows why the illegals are streaming in, maybe to beat the end of the year something, but there they are. It's never ending. It's, it's worsening by the day. And, and all that we can get is a, is a word salad from the border czar on nothing? There were 12, there were over 12,600 migrant encounters on Monday. This is just one point of entry, illegal point, I should say. That does not include the thousands still waiting for processing in the Del Rio sector on Monday evening after a surge of migrants into Eagle Pass. I mean, this is, this is leading to civil war. There was another report saying that a lot of the, the Chinese, they're, they're uh, military-aged young men. They're in their 20s. And so many of them, as I've noted before, they're, they're just young, single men. They're not fleeing anything. They're not fleeing from turmoil. They know the door, they know the door is open, wide open. And hey, why not come into America and, and get all the benefits that the federal government will pay you? That's, uh, of course, the U.S. taxpayer. And you see more and more blue, blue mayors, blue leaders, like the mayor of New York saying, we can't handle anymore. 
We can't, this can't be sustained. They love talking about sanctuary series, cities as long as the cities are in a red state somewhere. But this is real. This is right up in your face. It's affecting red and blue states alike. And it's breaking the nation. New York City, as I said, they've, they've had an influx of migrants, 160,000 of them since the start of this fake administration. Texas just passed this law that allows their, their police to arrest illegals. The Associated Press says here, opponents have called the measure the most dramatic attempt by a state to police immigration since a, a 2010 Arizona law. It says the law, which takes effect in March, allows any Texas law enforcement officer to arrest people who are suspected of entering the country illegally. Once in custody, they could either agree to a Texas judge's order to leave, to leave the U.S., or be prosecuted on misdemeanor charges of illegal entry. This sounds like common sense. To ordinary Americans, it is common sense. But you can be sure the communist left, they are going to fight this. They, well, I've already seen videos. The sports guy on ESPN, for some reason, this is, I mean, this is really important to him. I, I would suggest he, you know, stick to the sports. But here he is talking about the Texas law, taking issue at this Texas law, at, at Governor Abbott. Texans are probably cheering for this move. Joe Obama, they love watching the country blow up. They love watching the country go up in flames. 2 Kings 14, it's called bitter affliction in the Bible. Bitter affliction. It's so bitter. And there's no helper. The only one that would do anything about it is Hitler, if we're to believe Mika. Hitler. America's under attack. This is the book we plug more than any other on this show. And we've got a lot to plug, by the way. Visit our website and look at the literature uh, library that we have there. That's at thetrumpet.com. You can order... Uh, online, or you can call our 800 number. You see it there, 1-866-930-3024. This is from the New York Post. It says, the backlog of pending cases in the nation's immigration courts has hit 3 million as millions of border migrants have been released into the United States to seek asylum in the past three years. It's a shocking figure. But just the latest example of President Biden's efforts to break the immigration enforcement system, likely to force a massive amnesty he has long foresought. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, among others, has accused former President Donald Trump of gutting the immigration system. But such claims are little more than projection. They're the ones destroying the immigration system or what was left of it following the Obama years. Donald Trump fought tooth and nail just to get up a few hundred miles of, of, a, of a security barrier. Everybody fought against him, certainly in the swamp, Republicans, Democrats alike. For whatever reason, they love the invasion. They want it to be never ending. They want to see it intensify. And it is. It certainly is. Here's the nation going up in flames, but Trump is Hitler. Listen to this from the fake president yesterday, clip six. Is Trump an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think, sir, certainly you're self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. 
No question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway. Is Trump an insurrectionist, the reporter asks. And there's the fake president saying, well, it's self-evident. Of course. Of course. If it's self-evident, then nobody would vote for him. The problem is his poll numbers, that is the bad orange man, they continue to go upward. More people than ever are prepared to vote for him, which is why the Colorado Supreme Court did what it did. The four radicals, the four radicals saying, well, it's it's self-evident that it was an insurrection. Never mind that he's never been tried in a court of law on that very point, including with Jack Smith's case. It's just self-evident. So said the four Democrats who voted to remove him from the ballot. The three other Democrats, though, they said, no, no, this is too crazy. This is too crazy for us. And we're Democrats. They wouldn't go along. You see, as I said yesterday, you see just how important a player the regime media is in this. And, of course, they had some help with the January 6th commission. Just imagine if, if, if Republicans put together this sham of a commission and basically said, uh, you know what, we're not going to take any Democrats uh, and we're going to put Barack, we're going to put the dear leader on, uh, on trial here in the Senate or in, in the House. And we're going to find him guilty of treason and we're going to send him off. And then, and then we're going to try to get him sent to jail or prison because of what we found on the committee. Now, in that hypothetical, of course, they'd have no support whatsoever from the regime media. In this case, I mean the regime media front the importance, as Tucker pointed out yesterday, the importance of January 6th was to establish a talking point. The importance for the MAGA supporters, the protesters, was for them to to investigate all the evidence of a fraudulent election. But for those who set up that protest, The reason they infiltrated it with so many FBI agents, the reason they were firing flashbangs at the protesters, the reason they were inviting them into the Capitol, the reason they were urged to go in from Ray Epps and others is because the regime, the regime had to establish the insurrection talking point. Listen to Tucker from a post he had yesterday, clip three. Whatever else January 6th was, and in some ways we still don't know exactly what it was, It was not a Trump-led insurrection. The crowd had no guns. They had no plan to overthrow the government. Nothing like that has ever emerged. And above all, Trump was not leading it. He was miles away at the White House at the time, where he issued a public statement calling for calm and nonviolence. So why were the people on television telling us that Trump led an insurrection? This was, of course, a lie, but it was also a very obvious lie. So clearly we are watching the rollout of a talking point, words crafted for a specific purpose. But what was the purpose? We got an answer to that question yesterday when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that because he led an insurrection, Donald Trump's name cannot appear on the state's ballot next fall. The talking point was established for a purpose, and as Tucker says there, that purpose is to remove him from the ballot. He can't be put on the ballot because he's an insurrectionist. Or if you're Mara Gay, he's a Confederate. Yeah, the Confederates actually removed. Trump pointed this out this morning. (laughs) The Confederates removed Lincoln from the ballots. 
during that Civil War era. That's, that's who does this. The ones who, who, don't want, who don't want a free and fair election. It's the same spirit. New York Post, four liberal Colorado Supreme Court justices were behind the landmark ruling on Monday that President Trump would be removed, that is. The Democrat-appointed justices who made the decision include three Ivy League graduates. There you go. The very best. The very best that the United States has to offer in the way of higher education. The Ivy League. Three of them came from the Ivy League uh, schools two of whom were wrongfully accused of harassment and discrimination, as well as the first Latina and openly gay woman to serve on Colorado's highest court. Their ruling marks the first time in history that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which disqualifies insurrectionists from office, has been used to ban a presidential candidate. Together, it says, these four justices <coughs> say they had little dif difficulty in determining that the events of January 6th constitute an insurrection, and that Trump did engage in the alleged rebellion. <laughs> just takes, it just takes finding a, a, an extremist activist judge, and these are the sorts of bogus charges you can bring forward. Listen to Charlie Hurt on with uh, Jesse Waters the other night, clip 10. So we expect the Supreme Court to take the case, and uh, what do you think is going to happen, Charlie? I think without a doubt, uh, they, they have no choice but to take up this case because, and I think you're exactly right about this, they're trying to set a precedence. Uh, this will open the floodgates. You will have left-wing lunatic states all around the country trying to do the exact same thing, and you're exactly right there. What, this has nothing, very little to do with ballot access in the general election. It has to do with barring Donald Trump from make, getting the Republican nomination. And I thought his statement was really interesting where he said, Democrat leaders have lost faith in Joe Biden. That's true, but Democrat leaders have also lost faith in democracy. And that's what we're seeing in Colorado today. The people, the Democrats in Colorado are so afraid of allowing American voters to vote and pick the next president, they are willing to do extrajudicial things, complete highway robbery here, in order to thwart the people's choice from being on the ballot. To them, Preserving democracy requires destroying democracy, and that's who we're dealing with. These people are unhinged, they're lunatics, and they're very dangerous. Defending democracy involves destroying democracy. They've got to destroy democracy in order to maintain their hold on power. And, and these, these activist judges in Colorado, they know. They know their case isn't going to hold water when it gets up to the Supreme Court. We went through that with you yesterday. But it's all about establishing the precedent. It's all about, it's all about giving, giving some momentum to this movement and hoping it'll, it'll spread across the swing states. This is from Fox News. It says, a day after the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified President Trump from appearing on the state's ballots in 2024, the California lieutenant governor is asking the Golden State Secretary of State to explore every, every legal option to do the same. We got to do it to save democracy. Just wipe him out. Destroy Trump. Get Trump. He's Hitler. Kunalakis sent a letter to the Secretary of State referencing Colorado's recent ruling, which stated Trump was ineligible 
It says further on, this decision is about honoring the rule of law in our country and protecting the fundamental pillars of our democracy. That's what the lieutenant governor wrote. We're just protecting the rule of law. We're protecting democracy. We're the saviors. We're the guardians of democracy. And we want to end democracy at least in 2024 so that we can keep out Hitler. Jenna, <coughs> Jenna Ellis, she's the former attorney uh, for Donald Trump, who's now a never-Trumper, by the way. But she says, what is absolutely wild about this opinion from the Colorado Supreme Court is that it contains no limiting principle. Republicans should immediately file suit in Colorado to remove Biden from the ballot. That's the only way this, this craziness, this nonsense, this harassment, this persecution would ever stop. Just looking at it humanly. I mean, we know God has his designs. And we certainly, we certainly can base what we're saying, what we're forecasting on the sure word of Bible prophecy, whether it's Amos 7 or, or 2 Kings 14 or what. But just looking at it humanly, how are you going to stop a bully from just con constantly punching and punching and punching? Well, she's suggesting removing Biden from the, the ballot. That's what you see here in this next montage there's the california lieutenant governor saying that you know we ought to move trump remove trump from the california ticket and then you've got some uh, republican commentators and or <coughs> candidates uh offering their views clip eight you sent a letter just hours ago to california secretary of state to quote explore every legal option to remove former President Donald Trump from California's 2024 primary ballot. When the Supreme Court of Colorado determines in an examination of the facts that Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore is disqualified from being on the ballot, certainly here in California we have to look at that information and make the same determination here. Governor Noem, would you be able to bar Biden from the ballot in your state of South Dakota if say he violated that part of the 14th Amendment by unfreezing assets for Iran or allowed terrorists to just openly walk over the southern border. I mean, do you think that you'd have that power or your highest court would have that power? And you see that with the Colorado Supreme Court. I mean, look, if somebody's convicted or something of, of some of these things, there was no trial on any of this. They basically just said, what, you can't be on the ballot? I mean, how does that work? What's the limiting principle for that? Uh, why could, could we just say that Biden can't be on the ballot because he let in 8 million illegals uh, into the country and violated the Constitution, which he has? We're fed up. In fact, seeing what happened in Colorado tonight, Laura, makes me think, except we believe in democracy in Texas, maybe we should take Joe Biden off the ballot in Texas for allowing 8 million people to cross the border since he's been president. I just thought, of course, they'll never, Republicans would never do this because they don't have the courage to fight fire with fire. They, they don't realize that they're engaged in a civil war here because they're not fighting back. This is lawfare. <laughs> this is... This is the first issue of the trumpet we had this year, back in January, ready for war. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And the only way the bully is going to pull back a little bit is if you punch him, <laughs> if you punch back. Donald, Donald Trump's the only counterpuncher there is. The rest of them, at least they talked about it, okay. 
There, how much power, really? I mean, there's plenty of red states. There's plenty of red or conservative AGs in the United States. But it's just the radical Democrats that actually trash the Constitution, destroy the Constitution, the Constitution in the name of democracy. This is uh, the latest attack on Clarence Thomas, the conservative justice at the Supreme Court. It says in early 2000, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was at a five-star beach resort in Sea Island, Georgia, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. He was going in debt. He was complaining about the Supreme Court justice. This is from uh, ProPublica. This is a radical leftist organization that makes it its aim, basically, to go after Clarence Thomas, mainly. He was poor. He wasn't making enough money. And that's when the billionaire donor comes in and gives him all the money that he needed to buy his, his RV or whatever. And, and now these same voices, they're calling for Justice Thomas to recuse himself from the presidential immunity case that's brought before the Supreme Court now, thanks to Trump's attorneys. Why? Well, because he's biased. Joe Scarborough's not. No, they're, they're not partisan at all. The radical leftist. It says Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is facing calls from a growing number of Democrats. Here's yet another example of something Republicans would never do. Never. A growing number of Democrats who say he should recuse himself and from a case, uh, sorry, from a case examining former, former President Donald Trump's presidential immunity. It says, with more members of Congress raising concerns about the justice's ability to remain impartial given his wife's involvement in the movement to overturn the 2020 election results. Well, here we are again, the so-called insurrection. That is the radical left's most cherished narrative. You, you see what I've mentioned how important it was to establish the narrative or the talking point three years ago. Tucker made the same point uh, yesterday. But I think another angle to this is you see, you see what happens when you accept this big, bold, audacious lie. If you're intimidated into accepting a big lie, a big lie told by the radical left, well, then look at the, the position, the, the position of weakness that it puts you in down the road. My point is that they should have stood against this on January 7th, 2021. They should have, there should have been voices all over the place. Instead, they were intimidated into silence. And then you had people going on shows where George Stephanopoulos or whoever would say, now, don't you believe that was an insurrection? Don't you believe they tried to steal the election? Isn't that amazing? After Barack Hussein Obama steals the election, they accuse Donald Trump of trying to steal the election. Can you believe this? This is, Satan, this is right out of Satan's playbook 101. That's right. It's a classic case of projection. They stole the election and they're trying to take down Trump for stealing the election or trying to what trump might do what trump might have done you see how it works it's being exposed we've talked you know about the war in 24 colorado is not it's not the last play in the playbook 
It will continue. This harassment, this persecution, it will not stop. It will intensify. You feel the urgency when you hear the, when you hear the morning meltdown. We've got 11 months to save democracy. We've, got, we've only got 11 months to destroy Trump. What is going to happen as we flip the calendar page into 2024? The war in 24. Listen to this from Laura Ingram's show last night, clip four. Now, at this point, given what we're seeing in the courts, at the DOJ, and even in state AG offices, and given Democrats, Trump is Hitler rhetoric, is it not logical, at least to consider, maybe even to assume, that some on the left are hoping to spark some type of civil unrest here, which would be followed, of course, by a mass crackdown on civil liberties or the declaration of maybe a nationwide emergency, all as a way, a protectual way, to usher in, I don't know, nationwide mail-in voting. Now, remember, the left loved the lockdowns. They loved the 2020 riots. And they even loved the weapon that January 6th gave them. And, of course, they, they really, really love the idea of universal mail-in or even uh, Internet voting. Mail-in voting? Well, we were told that uh, that was perfectly secure the last time around. And if my memory is correct, Laura Ingram said, hey, she said it within six, seven days after the fraudulent election. We need to move on. We need to move on. We can't talk about a stolen election. There's no proof. There's no evidence. And yet here she is now. She's finally coming around, I guess. She sees how much cheating they get away with, with universal mail-in balloting. That's what we had last time. That's how Obama was able to pull off the steal. You, sh you see, even if you accept a big lie, to some degree, look at the position it puts you in later. I mean, now she's sounding the alarm. Well, that's good. Thank you. Finally. You mean if mass mail-in balloting this time around would be how the Democrats try to secure a steal? If that's what she's concerned about, are you going to say at the same time that they didn't steal it in 2020? How about just state it outright? How about just saying, no, you lied. You lied about the election. You lied about January 6th. And you're using it as a weapon now. She dances around some, some truths there. So as I say, good for her in that sense. But you can't give the devil an inch or else he takes a mile. <laughs> We've seen that now for three plus years. We've seen it really for the past 15 years. You give the, the devil an inch. You give the Antiochus administration an inch. And they're quite happy to go ahead and take a mile. When we come back, we'll conclude today's show with our Bible study segment. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, 
social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. about plagiarism in Harvard and yeah. I mean what a bizarre set of circumstances that we're seeing there with with the 700 faculty member Jason Furman I, I, I can't figure that out what do you think should happen there she got any issues with, with plagiarism is she is she too big to fail for, for yeah, woke at, the reasons? Moment, at the moment she is for woke reasons well because you can't just run a president out it, it's gonna take they, ran, Harvard Liz, they ran Liz McGill out right and I don't think that was the greatest of all things I think you got to take your time here this has got to play. Harvard's been around almost 400 years. It's going to be around another 400 years. I think this will play out. I don't think the plagiarism stuff is all that bad. Yeah, it's not all that bad for a, a Harvard president to plagiarize her papers. He actually, he was asked there if you caught it. He was asked, is this, is this Harvard professor, or sorry, this Harvard president, is she too big to fail? And he said his answer, unbelievably, was yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think she is. She's too big. In other words, she can do anything. She's too big to fail. Harvard's been around for 400 years. Too big to fail? That's, what, that's Walter Isaacson. He's, a, he's actually a writer, a journalist himself. He's written many books. You would think he'd have some strong views about plagiarism of all things. But in this case, she's too big to fail. She can't, she's the vicar of Harvard. She cannot fail. She can do no wrong. She's also a woman and a minority, so there's that too. We don't want to, we certainly don't want to run someone out. A black woman of all people, no way. Well, that kind of thing, what does that kind of thinking do to institutions, to society, to the nation, to any, <laughs> any uh, institution or group? Well, you see why what's happening to our country is happening. Uh, yesterday on the show, I talked about just how, how true repentance, which begins with admitting error, which, with, which begins with admitting you were wrong, how that, that helps to fuel this zeal for God. That, that passage in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 11, where it talks about godly sorrow, which is true repentance. It leads to true repentance. And then, as Paul said there, the true re repentance leads to indignation. I mean, a, a strong, strong opposition to sinful living, <coughs> to sinful behavior. It leads to vehement desire, a strong desire to obey God's laws. It leads to zeal, it says there plainly, and also to revenge. 
revenge against sin, never wanting to let it happen again. I read that passage in Galatians 4 to you on yesterday's show where Paul says that these, these dissident leaders, <coughs> I've only got six minutes left, hopefully my voice can hold up. But he says that those dissident uh, teachers, those heretics that had infiltrated the church in his day, that they were zealously affecting God's people, zealously, not in a good way. I mean, Satan himself, my father makes this point in Malachi's message, he's filled with zeal. He's filled with energy to destroy, to pervert, to twist, to distort. And this is from Malachi's message, my father's book. I don't think I have a copy up here, but you can get to, you can get to that book at thetrumpet.com or also the 800 number. But my father says about the Laodicean leader at that time, Joseph Tkach, he stated at a 1989 Feast of Tabernacles, a Philadelphian spirit is one excited about the work and filled with energy. The Laodicean is the opposite, no drive and no energy. At this time, it's important that you understand at this time, there were critics of the Tkach administration saying, it looks like we're going into the Laodicean era, the seventh and final era of God's church, which is characterized by spiritual lukewarmness and complacency. And Tkach's people countered that by saying, listen, listen, we're not Laodicean. Look at how much energy we have. Look at how much zeal we have. My father says, sounds good, but is it biblical? Is it biblical? God says a person can have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. A Laodicean may have an abundance of zeal. Even Satan is filled with energy and drive. Satan has a lot of energy and drive to destroy. A drive to destruction. An abomination of desolation. This is what the devil authors always tell you and bow you, it says in the Hebrew Bible. Waste and decay, destruction. You see a trail of it everywhere that Satan has been. We're seeing it happen now in our nations. Romans 10 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal. They're, they're passionate, but it's not locked in Scripture. They're not using the Bible as their guide. It's, it's just a form of godliness, as Paul said elsewhere. It's not real. It's not true religion. This shows how important it is to use the Word of God as your lamp. 2 Timothy 3 says that this is, this is inspired, every word of it. It's God-breathed. It came right out of the mind of our Creator. It's, as Herbert Armstrong said, it's the instruction book, the guidebook for, for living. Shows us how to live. We need the Word of God if we're going to have zeal according to knowledge. This uh, same passage, Romans 10, now verse 3, it says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness 
of God. See, it takes a, a submissive attitude, a humble, childlike attitude. Ma- Matthew 11 and verse 25, we've got to be childlike if God's going to reveal His truth, His way, His more excellent way to us. It says, for Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. We have to look to Christ. We have to follow the example of Christ. Follow in the steps of Christ. 1 Peter 2.21, Titus 2, let's just hurry through this. Titus 2 and verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. What does God's grace teach? There's a lot of people in this world that say the grace of God just covers everything and you don't have to do anything or respond to it in any way or clean up your life or clean up your act. God's grace covers everything. No, it says, well, it does. If we repent, it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, verse 14 says, that he might redeem us from all iniquity or sin and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous, zealous of good works, zeal according to knowledge, a zeal for God's way of life, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that, that, that Greek language there at the start of Matthew 6.33, it has to do with, with going after it with some zeal. Seek the kingdom. Have the right priorities. Put God first. Be zealous, as Paul says here in Titus, of good works. God's works. Righteous works. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you want to email the program, you can reach us at tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll try to get to some viewer feedback on tomorrow's show. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you tomorrow.